morning in our study of the book of John. Three words we'll use to describe this chapter. Born again, belief, behavior. John chapter 3, the first two-thirds of it anyway, an incredible one-on-one conversation with Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. As we progress through the book of John, and as we've seen thus far, a good bit of the book of John is going to be one-on-one conversations with Jesus and some individual somewhere. The woman at the well in chapter 4, Nicodemus in chapter 3, in chapter 1, Nathaniel. In chapter 2, that small group, even his mother, is who he conversed with at the wedding. Why didn't Jesus just fill an arena, a stadium, the hills, with all the people he could speak to? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he wanted us to realize he's a one-on-one God. He encountered people where they were and talked to them about life, salvation, heaven, belief, who he is, who we need to be, who he's made us to be, all manner of things. John, remember, is the book that declares Jesus to be God. The God, Jesus Christ, took a significant portion of this book of John to Record a conversation with one man, Nicodemus. It's a very important conversation. It's now shared with many, with you and me. It wasn't just Nicodemus that benefited from this weekend, too. But let's look at this thing, this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus this morning, and see what we might learn. Before we get into chapter 3, the last two verses of chapter 2, I think, set a good stage for this. John 2 and 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. And then the next verse, chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. So going back to chapter 2 and seeing what how that closed. Remember in the original, there weren't chapter breaks. It is just said that Jesus knows everything that's in a man. He can look right into the heart, know what you think, know what you believe, know where you're confused and what you understand. The point here in the beginning, when Nicodemus came up to Jesus, Jesus already knew all about him inside and outside. The same Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He comes and he says these words. Were the words sincere? Jesus knows. I'm not sure. I think they are. I think Nicodemus is seeing something here that some of the rest of the Jews, this is a high-ranking Jew, this Nicodemus guy, but he comes to Jesus not with rocks in his hand to stone him. He comes with a serious question, it seems to me. 
He has recognized in this Jesus that he's got to be sent from God. Nobody could be doing what he's doing. Nobody could be doing what he's doing if he's not sent from God. So I think he comes with a sincere questioning in his heart. Who are you? Who do you claim to be? For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man. That's the man who has not received born again. The natural man, not a spiritual man who thinks spiritual thoughts, a natural man. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Nicodemus doesn't come in fighting mode. Nicodemus doesn't come angry. He comes seeking answers to his question. Who are you? No man could be doing what you're doing except God has sent him, except he be sent from God, except God be with him. He comes to Jesus, and the first thing Jesus says to him, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, truly, truly, for sure, for sure, I say to you, here's the first thing he tells Nicodemus, except you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. A little further down the road in John chapter 5, Jesus will say, you will not come to me that you might have life. In John chapter 6, Jesus will say, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. We've got a man right here who came to Jesus. It says that. He came. He came seeking. He came looking. No man can see the kingdom except he be born again. And no man's going to come seeking what he can't see. You know what I believe? I believe Nicodemus is born again. He's coming looking for something the world's not looking for. He's seeking Christ. He doesn't know much about him. He doesn't know who he is, but there's something in his heart. God's drawing him. No man can come except God draw. No man can see except he be born again. I say you got to see before you come. I say Nicodemus is a child of God already born again. And I say Jesus knows that when he begins the conversation. But what a strange way to begin a conversation. Tell me who you are. Except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom. Except a man be born again, he's not looking for the king. Except a man be born again, he's not recognizing Jesus to be a king. That thief on the cross, he said, remember me when you get your kingdom. That same thief had been railing on Jesus a few minutes before. Something happened to that thief called born again. And he recognizes a kingdom. He recognizes a king. And this man coming to Jesus, he knows something. And I think the first statement Jesus makes gives us strong evidence that he came seeing, he came seeking, he came. You will not come if you don't have life. So I'm going to start out with the premise that Nicodemus has been born again. But I'm going to tell you he doesn't know it because he doesn't know anything about born again yet. And we wouldn't know much about born again if that, without this chapter. This chapter tells us a lot about born again. But don't jump to conclusions about how born again happens. 
don't, don't get things in the wrong order. Today's Christianity has things in the wrong order about born again and how it happens. It's not that you believe and get it. It's that if you got it, you believe. Except a man be born again, he can't see. Except a man be born again, he can't come. Except a man be born again, he can't believe. Jesus starts out his first statement, gives a ground level understanding about born again. That's the first step in coming to Jesus, in seeing Jesus, in coming to God, in being a recognizable child of God, in being an alive spiritual creature. Except a man be born again. He can't see it, he won't come. So that's an important verse. It's a verse you need to keep in mind as we go on through this chapter. First things first, born again. Then see, then come, then believe. We're going to see that as we go through here if we'll, if we'll look at it in the right direction. If we'll not get it backwards and begin to look at it wrong. Next verse. He's told Jesus, he, Jesus has told Nicodemus, except a man be born again. Nicodemus jumps to the same conclusion that Christianity today still jumps to. Well, if that's the first step, then I need to get her done, don't I? I need to do that, don't I? I want to tell you that's an illogical assumption. It holds no rationale for you to think you can do something to cause your own birth. And that's what Nicodemus is so confused with the first statement. How can a man? How can a man? First things first, born again, then you can see the kingdom. Nicodemus is already seeing he's already been born again, but he doesn't understand the sequence. He doesn't understand born again. Nicodemus' response. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? How can a man be born when he's a grown man already? Not talking about the same kind of birth, natural birth, Spiritual birth. How can he enter? What's Nicodemus saying right there? It sounds to me like, says Nicodemus, you're telling me to do something and I don't know how to do it. How can it happen, first of all? How can it be? How can a man? And then what do you want me to do to make this happen? Are you expecting me to enter back into my mother's womb? That's bizarre. Nicodemus is in a state of confusion about the very idea of born again. It is sort of a wild concept if you've never heard of it. I've already been born. You want me to be born again? Well, what do I need to do to do that? You jump to conclusions that you don't need to be jumping to. Because we're going to find as we go down through here, you don't do it. Rationally speaking, logically speaking, you can't do it. You did not do anything to cause your natural birth. You do not do anything to cause your spiritual birth. Jesus used the analogy of a birth because it represents what he's teaching very well. You don't do it. You must be born. That's a passive tense verb where you're not doing it. It's happening to you. You're not active in this thing. You're the passive recipient. That's the very nature of a passive verb, be born. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The water and of the Spirit, the Greek word there, kai, that's translated and, it's, it's a copulative conjunction, they call it. It just means that the second one is the same as the first one. 
Born of water, born of the Spirit, it's the same thing. I don't want to go and show that from too many places because I'll get bogged down. But don't get caught up in that. It's not, it's not really that important to our, to our study this morning anyway, but, but just a little clue there, right there. Born, born of the water and born of the Spirit, it's talking about the same thing, just using different words. So Jesus has told him in verse 3, except you be born again, you can't see. And then in verse 5, he says, except you be born again, you can't enter. So first thing before seeing is born again. First thing before entering the kingdom is born again. Here again, we have the required prerequisite the must be condition for this, seeing or entering, and I'll add coming, because Nicodemus came because he had seen. So any action on the part of the child of God is after born again. Action follows life. You don't do before you're you in the natural realm, in the spiritual realm. When you start doing, you already are alive. That's evidence of life, not cause of life. I breathe because I am alive. I don't breathe in order to become alive. I'm already alive. And if you find a guy laying there by the side of the road, and if you look at him and he's breathing, he's alive. That's evidence that he's still alive. Walking is an evidence of life. Talking is an evidence of life. Seeing is an evidence of life. Coming to Jesus is an evidence of spiritual life. Entering a kingdom, Jesus calls the kingdom of God. That's one who's already been born, already has life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. A distinction here between natural life and spiritual life. Jesus here added to the information he's given Nicodemus and given to us. There's natural life that we all have. To have that, you were born of the flesh, born of fleshly parents, and now you live a natural life in the flesh. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Using the same kind of reasoning, we use reasoning and logic because that'll help us understand the spiritual life and the spiritual born again. By the same way that you have natural life being born naturally, that which is of the flesh is flesh, that which is of the spirit is spirit. If you now have spiritual life, then you received it from a spiritual parent, God himself. You were born of the spirit and you have spiritual life. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you are not spirit until you've been born to become spirit by the spirit himself, God. God is a spirit. And they that are born of God are born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. They that are born of the Holy Spirit are born of God. So there's two births talked about, a natural, a spiritual. The first one you get from fleshly parents and you become alive fleshly. The second you get from a spiritual parent and you become alive spiritually. Jesus telling Nicodemus a whole lot in very few words. Remember, Jesus' words are few, but his teachings are profound. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Don't let that shock you. Don't marvel and be so amazed at that, Nicodemus. It's not as hard as you're making it out to be. It's not something you have to do. You don't have to figure out how to get back in your mama so you can be born again. It's not like that. That's fleshly birth. I'm talking about I'm explaining something to you beyond that. I'm explaining to you spiritual birth. But don't get so torn up about it at this point. I'm going to continue telling you about some things here, and it's going to settle your mind if you'll just listen a little longer. Marvel not at this, Nicodemus, that you must be born again. And somebody might say, you see right there, it says you must be born again. And that line is used often in a wrong way. When you, when you tell somebody, you must be born again, and if you're telling them that they may need to do it, then the whole premise is wrong. Because you can't do it. How can a man? So whatever this is meaning, and we're going to see very, very well in the next verse, that he's not telling Nicodemus to do this. As a matter of fact, the way the statement comes from Jesus' lips, he didn't tell Nicodemus to go born himself. At that point, Nicodemus might have, might have said, how can I do that? Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus to do that because he said, you must be born again. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which the Spirit borns is born. The Spirit, God himself, is the actor in this thing. He's the action part of it. The one who's receiving that birth is the passive participant who is not in any way at all involved in making it happen. The action is not his action. He doesn't need to crawl up to God some way or raise his hand or make any kind of move at all in order to be born. What did you do before you were you, naturally speaking? You don't do anything before you become a spiritual creature either. The first thing is before anything, remember, born again before you can see, born again before you can enter. Born again is the first thing. But he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. So in the be born part, he's telling Nicodemus, if we'll just read real close and think, think a little deeper than the surface here, he's telling Nicodemus, you don't do it, somebody else does it, and the somebody he's going to tell us in the next verse is the Spirit of God. So don't get so upset so quickly, Nicodemus. Don't get torn up. Marvel not at this. You must be born. But remember I said be born. What does the must come in? Who? It said must, so surely that's something you have to do. It says must, and it is something that has to happen, but it's not something you have to do. It must happen. From before the foundation of the world, God has people that are his people. God gave each of those individuals individually to Jesus so that Jesus would go and die for every sin of each one of those people at some point in each one of these individuals' lives that God chose before the foundation of the world. They must be born again or they're not going to have the spiritual life that makes them fit to be in heaven. You must be born if you're a child of God. But who does it? That which is born of the Spirit the Spirit himself takes care of that part. It must happen. That's a reassuring thing to me. He's not going to miss a one. They're not going to get up there and call the roll someday and the Holy Spirit say, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, Father. I'm sorry, Jesus. I know you died for that one, but I forgot about him. Huh. When God chose, they must get to heaven. 
When Jesus accepted the responsibility, they must be paid for, and he accomplished that. When the Holy Spirit says, here's my part, I'll give him born again, it must happen. And you know what else must happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible must put on incorruption. That's Bible. Do you think anybody out there in that graveyard knows how to do that? Do you think that must is telling them, you must get out of that grave. You must do it. You're going to miss resurrection. Oh my goodness, that's bizarre, isn't it? It must happen. Why? Because those are in the same group that God chose that Jesus died for, that the Spirit must born again, and they must, at the last day, that body, though it be rotted into the ground, it must put on immortality. That corruption, that which is rotted, must put on incorruptible. We're going to be raised from the dead, but we don't do it. Remember what I said there? Be raised. We don't raise ourselves from deadness. We don't give ourselves lives. Be born be raised, passive tense, that's God's job, but it must happen. Marvel not, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Next words. The wind bloweth where it listeth. That word wind over 300 times, that Greek word that's translated wind, pneuma in the Greek, over 300 times it's translated spirit. Spirit. Who's this verse talking about? You must be born again, Nicodemus, but the Spirit, the wind moves where he pleases. The wind bloweth where it listeth. It uses wind here because of what's going to come up next. It says this Spirit, you, you don't see it coming and you won't see it go like the wind. You can see the effect of the wind, but you don't see the wind itself. You can see the effect of the Spirit once he's come, but you don't see the Spirit itself. The Spirit himself, he's invisible to our eyes. The wind itself is invisible to our eyes. The wind, though, here used to show us the, and a character trait the, used to be equivalent like the water was the spirit the wind is the spirit the wind has a mind of his own the spirit does and he blows where he listeth he blows where he pleases he blows according to his will the wind bloweth where it listeth and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst not tell when it cometh whence it cometh and whither it goeth so is every one that is born of the spirit there's not two ways there's one way there's not some that get there this way and some others get there that way. Everybody that gets born again gets it the same way. How's that? When the wind is pleased, when the Spirit's pleased to do it, He does it. He comes and He causes born again to happen and then He moves on to somewhere else to take care of some of the rest of the business that He does. But at that point, He's accomplished it for that one. It must happen to that one. And at some point between natural conception and natural death, the wind, the Spirit, moves as He listeth, as He pleases. And so it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. The same plan for all. The same Spirit does it for each. It must happen, and He'll do it. As He pleases, when He pleases, to whom He pleases, same way every time, born again. So, it must happen, but you don't do it. Before you can do anything else in the spiritual realm, it's got to have already happened, but you didn't do it. From there, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? From how, 
how can a man to, how can it be? How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master in Israel, and knowest not these things? A master is a teacher, a schoolmaster. Do you claim to be a teacher? And you don't know this basic, fundamental, elementary, first step, born again. You claim to be a teacher and you don't know that? Nicodemus admits his confusion. Jesus tells him he's not confused at all. He knows all about this. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, there's things a whole lot more complicated than born again. If you'll just listen to me, this isn't that complicated. It happens to every one of God's children, but God does it for them. So, so it's not that big a deal. It's not that hard to understand. And if you don't get this one, if you don't have the, the platform, the, the foundation, it's going to be hard to build on any more understanding. Basic understanding is born again is required, but God does it. And if we'll just take that as that simple truth and then start going from there, it'll straighten out a whole lot of error. Nicodemus, you claim to be a master in Israel and you don't understand this? Jesus might say to, to somebody out in the Christian world today, you claim to be a preacher and you don't understand this part? Why, this is basic stuff, man. If you don't have this, how are you going to go to bigger things? You know what will happen if you don't have this right? When you go to bigger things, they're all going to be wrong too. And you're never going to be able to understand what Jesus is teaching if you don't start with the right groundwork. That God does the born again, that God does the salvation from start to finish. That it's not something you do, it's something God does. And it's all of Him. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Not only am I qualified to teach you about this, I can teach you bigger things than this. Nicodemus in these verses here, he confesses his lack of understanding. Jesus in these four verses, he 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 declares his certainty about all this. Hey, I've got it right. I'm the one that came down from heaven. I'm the one that's going back to heaven. I know all about spiritual things in heaven. I know all about spiritual things in earth. It's my story. And listen to me. I'm telling you how it is, Nicodemus. Verse 14. Let's read verse 14 and 15. From here now, Jesus is, is changing direction slightly, but still unborn again. But he goes again in a strange direction, you might think. He's told Nicodemus about born again. He's told Nicodemus about the necessity of it. He's told him about it has to be the first thing that happens, but he's told him that God does it. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Those are not too easy verses to understand, as these that we've studied thus far are not easy to understand because of all the confusion that's ingrained to Christianity. But this is where Jesus goes at this point. And let's see what happens from here. Jesus goes to a, an Old Testament account in the wilderness. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, everlasting, have eternal life. Let's go read the account. It's a very short account of when this happened in the wilderness. 
And the people spake against God and against Moses. They're again complaining about the food. They don't like their situation. They don't like their lives. It's all messed up. They begin to complain again to God about what's happening. Verse 6, Numbers 21, 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. That is strange. But it's a real story that really happened. Serpents, fiery serpents, if you get bit, many had gotten bit and they're dead already. They cried to Moses, help us, Moses, take away the serpents. No, God didn't take away the serpents, but he told Moses, you make a fiery serpent, put him on a pole, and anybody that's been bit, when they look at that serpent, they'll live. There's lots of ways you can go with that story. But at this point, let's just see four facts that I don't think can be denied if you read the story. And if we sort of begin to tie it to John chapter 3. Number one, remember the story. Many are already dead. No dead man became alive by looking to the serpent. Dead men can't look. We've sort of talked about that already, hadn't we? This serpent, the dead, the ones who are dead, they didn't become alive by looking. Dead men can't look. Where have we talked about that already? Another fact, except a man be born again, he cannot see. Those who can't see don't look. Those who are dead in trespassing and sins, they don't look to Jesus. The dead in the account in the Old Testament, it wasn't for them. Dead men can't look. Dead men won't look. It didn't help the dead man. Who did it help? An alive man who realized he'd been bitten could look to Jesus and live. Fact number three, no alive sinner who looked to the serpent perished. Any who looked lived. Fact number four, no alive sinner who looks to Jesus will perish. Any who looks will live. Remember now, there's no such thing as a dead man looking. There's no such thing as a dead man seeing. You've got to be born again before you can look. Only the ones who were alive could look. But if they, when they looked, if they looked, they're going to live, weren't they? That's all it tells us. Let's don't go any farther with it because I think those are the lessons Jesus is wanting. 
We could take and use this and construe other things, but if we're going to tie it into John chapter 3, that's all I can see we can get out of it. No dead man looked, but any alive man that looked, he could be sure he was going to live and he wouldn't perish. That's where Jesus is going with this thing. Verse 16, the famous verse. Let's read 14 and 15 again. And as Moses lift up the, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Dead men can't look. Dead men can't see. Dead men can't believe. What's John 3.16 telling us? We're going to have to think a little bit here. Try to unthink some things you may already be thinking. John 3.16 is not telling you to do what Jesus said in verse 8. In John 3 and 8, Jesus said the Holy Ghost does it. And it's that way with everyone. Every time. The Holy Ghost does it. So now does Jesus come to John 3 and 16 and say, here's what you need to do. You better believe so you can get born again. That won't fit, will it? We're not sure yet what it means, but it doesn't mean that. If you don't get that first part right, remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? If you don't understand this fundamental one, how are you going to understand the rest of it? The fundamental thing that we get wrong if we're not careful is that your belief didn't cause you to be born again. And that's where he's going with this. We're going to try to tell you what it does mean here in a second, but we're going to first tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you take the first step, and that starts the ball rolling. The Holy Spirit's the one that takes that first step. It's that way with everybody that's born again. He moves where he pleases. And until he does that, you can't see, and you can't come, and you can't believe, and you can't enter. First things first, he's already taught us, holy God does born again. So John 3.16 doesn't contradict John 8, 3.8. He's not now coming and telling you to do what he's already said he does. Let's just hold on to that for a second, and let's go a step further with this thing. The idea of you doing something to cause your own birth, it doesn't pass the test of logic. We've already talked about that. God is a reasonable God. If Jesus had meant for us to be doing something, he wouldn't have used born as his illustration word. He would have used work or do or something that, that you could relate to that that's what I need to do. You don't do born for yourself. You can't. It doesn't work that way. It won't fit that way. What else does it not fit? The idea that, that, you have to, that you've been given an invitation, and if you want to be born again, you have to accept this invitation and, and follow through on this if you want to get born again. That's not what it's saying because Jesus said that the Holy Spirit does that in verse 8. Logic says that you can't do anything to do that anyway. How can a man? And it doesn't fit the rest of the scriptures. It doesn't fit the rest of the scriptures. Whom he did predestinate, them he called, and whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. Those that God predetermined the destiny for, he calls them to this eternal life. That's the same as the wind moving where he pleases. It's God's job to do that. 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. That's the voice of Jesus. That's the wind moving where he pleases. That's God's action in the chain of salvation that he does the calling. It's not you that call to him to get born again. It's he that calls your name and you become born again. It's the wind that moves where he pleases and that's when it happens. So, it doesn't fit the context in that it antagonizes with verse 8. If it's the Spirit that does it, then you don't need to do it because it just happens once. So it is the same with everybody. The Spirit does it. It won't fit the test of logic, the idea that you have to do something to be born. That's passive to start with. And it won't fit the rest of the Scriptures. Accepting an invitation. When Jesus said in John 5 and 40, you will not come. The idea of you accepting an invitation and causing your own birth, it's illogical, unreasonable, but take it as it is, it's unscriptural. Because no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. There's another one right there. What happens first? God makes the first move. And then you're able to come. But you didn't give yourself life. You didn't make the first move. You didn't see it and then come get it. You can't come and get it and see it until you already got it. We're just, we're just coming back and reviewing facts and throwing a lot at you here, but, but to understand this, what it's really saying, you've got to first get out of your head what it's not saying. It's not an invitation for you to come and be born again. John 3.16 is not saying, if you believe, you will get eternal life. It says, if you now believe, you already have eternal life remember the order of things what's the first step born again what's the second steps then you can see if you can see go backwards then you've already been born again he started out in verse three it's not your job to do that part nicodemus said how can a man he goes on and tells him a man can't but don't worry about that it must happen but i'll do it for you the spirit does it and that's the same with everybody nobody has to do it he does it for everybody that it gets done to John 3.16 does not say if you believe you get life. It says if you now believe you already have eternal life. It does not offer the new birth to one who cannot born himself. It offers the already born again evidence of his or her prior new birth. You know what? If you believe you have life. If you didn't have the life, you couldn't believe. So working backwards, if you'd believe, you've already have the life. If you already have the life, he's mentioned it two or three times, it's eternal life. If it's eternal, you won't lose it. If you have the life, what's he said, you'll never perish. You won't lose it. It's everlasting life. Well, John 3.16 says I have to believe to get it. No, John 3.16 says if you believe, you've got it. John 3.16 is not how you get it. It's how you know you have it. It's not an invitation to be born. It's a proclamation that you already are. If I'm Nicodemus and I'm sitting here in the middle of this conversation and Jesus has gone through all this and finally maybe it clicks a little bit that yes, it must happen for me to have the eternal life and I'm not the one that did it, thank goodness, because I didn't know how anyway and it seemed way too big for me. Well, it is too big for you, but don't worry about that. The Spirit's the one that does that. You know what I'm thinking if I'm sitting there, Nicodemus? If you're the one that does it, have you done it to me? Have I been born again? Do I have it? How can I know? The passage is not coming back and conflicting with itself. 
The passage is screaming for assurance. How can I know? How can a man? Well, you can't. The Spirit does it. How can I know if he's done it for me? Do you believe in Jesus? It's that simple. It's not hard yet. It's very simple. If you believe, you have it. And you know at this point you ask yourself, do I really believe in Jesus? And you know what you're going to answer? Why, sure I believe in Jesus. You know what I can answer you at that point? Why, sure you have eternal life. But why, sure you've already been born again. If you hadn't been born again, remember the first statement, you couldn't see it. Remember the verse 5, you couldn't enter the kingdom. If you believe in Jesus, you're in his kingdom. How'd you get there? He put you there. How'd he do that? He borned you again. I'm using an active sense of the word there. You're not even supposed to say it that way. He does the borning part. You do the receiving part. He does the action part. You do the passive part. But if you believe, there's no way to believe unless it's happened. So if you believe, it's happened. The passage is screaming for assurance. The verse is a proclamation of you having been born again, not an invitation for you to come and get her done. If you start out backwards in chapter 3, where are you going to be by the time you get on through the book of John? If you start out backwards in the first chapter of Romans, where are you going to be when you get to the eighth chapter of Romans? I could go and show you the verses I'm thinking about when I say those things. You see, if you start out with the wrong foundation, it's all going to just be a, a house of cards that it won't stand on itself, it won't stand on anything, because it's some man's imagination and not God's plan. God's plan will stand. God's plan is that I do the born again part, said God, and you receive it by my grace. I give it to you. The wind blows where he pleases. That's the way you got it, and that's the way anybody gets it that has it. But if you now believe, you've already had it. No dead man is going to ever look. No dead man is going to ever believe. If you look to Jesus... If you can, through the eye of faith, see him hanging on a cross for you, you've been born again. There's nothing left for you to do that way. Now, there's something for you to do in praising him. And that's where you come in here. If you're alive, live the life and praise him. But you didn't do anything to become alive. John 3.16 is not an invitation to be born. It's your assurance that you are. If you now believe in Jesus then you must already have been born again. If you now believe in Jesus, you will never perish. You have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believeth on him, whoever it is, anybody anywhere that believes on Jesus, if you believe on Jesus, you won't perish. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You have it. You didn't believe to get it, but you already have it and that's how you're able to believe. No alive sinner who now believes and looks at Jesus will ever perish. Remember the story of the Old Testament, the serpent on the pole, the fiery serpents and the serpent on the pole. No alive sinner who looked to the serpent perished. Any who looked lived. How does that relate to John 3.16? No alive sinner who now believes in Jesus will ever perish. All who look to Jesus will live. All who look to Jesus and believe on him have everlasting life, never perish. And at this point we say, Whew. it's pretty simple how you can breathe that sigh of relief. The only question you have to ask yourself, do I believe in Jesus? 
And if you answer affirmative to that question, then I guarantee you on the authority of John 3.16 that you'll never perish and you have everlasting life. John 3.16 is a magnificent verse, but it's not the invitation. It's the confirmation of eternal life. And somebody might say, well, what about world? God so loved the world. That one's not that hard either. We've already seen that in chapter 1. We're going to see it all the way through the book of John. Remember back in chapter 1, we, we set a, 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 a groundwork there that all the way through this book, we're going to be needing to look for two worlds, for two worlds. Jesus came in John chapter 1, and the world despised him and rejected him, but yet... There's the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Two different worlds that we'll follow all the way through here. The world of John 3.16, let's go ahead in the book of John just to show you different worlds. John 14.30, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The king, Jesus, says the prince of this world comes and he has nothing in me. You know who that is, that's Satan. John 16, 20, you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. There's a prince of this world. His name is Satan. He has his own kingdom. It's vile and repulsive. It's not a kingdom that God loves. God doesn't love Satan. He doesn't love those of Satan who crucified Jesus and rejoiced when they did it. You're weeping and lamenting at the thought of Jesus hanging on a cross. They're happy-go-lucky rejoicing. It's their greatest moment. Satan and his kingdom, that world, the world that the prince of this world rules, the world that rejoiced at the death of Jesus, the world in John 17, 9 that Jesus refused to pray for. I pray not for the world. That's Satan's world. That's not God's world. That's not the world of John 3, 16 that God so loved and Jesus won't pray for him. God is not in conflict with God. Jesus loves the same world God loves and they both don't have any favors for Satan's world. Neither of them do. I pray not for the world, said Jesus. What else does he say in John chapter 17, verse 6? The men which thou gavest me out of the world, out of the condemned world that Satan, the prince of this world, rules, God chose a vast host of people from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue out of that world to place in his world, the world of John three sixteen, the world of John one twenty nine. that Jesus, the... Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He took away every sin of every man in his world. God so loved the world. What world? Not Satan's world, God's world. The very word world in the Greek language is cosmos. It means orderly arrangement. If there's anything in history, if there's anything in the universe that's orderly, it's God's plan of salvation. God's world is an orderly arrangement where God chose them, predetermined their destiny, put them in the hands of Jesus to pay for, gave them to the Holy Spirit that he might speak born again into them. Everyone ends up glorified. That's God's order for God's world. That's not the other world. World doesn't mean every individual that's ever lived. Define world by the context right here is those that get the born again. And who gets that? The ones the Spirit's pleased to do it for. And it's that way with every one of them. John 3 and 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth not is condemned already. Jesus didn't come to condemn. The world was condemned already with the sin of Adam. All fall into condemnation. Condemnation is a declaration of guilt. 
Adam declared that, and then God judged it to be so. For God sent for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's one world in the first part and another world in the second part. The world that's condemned, that's Satan's world. The world that's saved, that's the world of John 3, 16, the Father's world. He that believeth not is he that believeth not on him is he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Already in a legal sense, the declaration of guilt upon that one. He's condemned already, whether he believes or not, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. A group that hates light, a group that hates Christ, a group that loves their father, the devil. A group that loves Christ. A group that he'll save from condemnation, but a group that's condemned already. A couple of buts in here. The, the world's condemned already, but Jesus. But Jesus, all the way through the New Testament. But God, but Jesus. Out of the world of condemnation, a world that God, through Jesus, will justify by his work on the cross and the Holy Spirit will find and do the work of born again upon each one of those. There's things to be said about those four verses, but we're out of time. I want to finish the chapter. I don't want to get bogged down in this study where we spend, we could, we could spend sermons on this that we've talked about already, but let's now go to behavior. We've talked about born again. We've talked about belief and where that fits into born again. Let's talk about behavior now. Right after, right after this conversation with Nicodemus, John 3 and 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. They didn't need a teacup full of water. They needed much water to baptize. That's a verse that would support baptism by immersion. For John was not yet cast into prison. He will be, but he's still preaching. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. I think we recognize the root of the problem in that verse. John had a multitude of followers. And now who's got the multitude? Jesus. And John's got a few that are still holding on to him. And these are really torn up. They had, they had what had been prophesied for hundreds of years. It was happening all around them. And now it's become to fade and fizzle. And all of John's people are following Jesus now. Not all of them. There's a still a few holding to John. And they come to John and say, what's happening here? What's going on? You need to start preaching better. You need to holler for him to come back over here. We liked what we had here. Don't let it go, John. Don't let it go. Do something, John. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given from heaven. What you saw happen through my preaching, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. God gave that. God made me what I am. That's what Paul said. I am what I am by the grace of God. And then Paul labored more abundantly than they all, but that was grace in him. John said, what you've seen happen, 
It's happened. I've played my part. It's time to look to him. I came to point people to him. There he is. You go follow him too. Don't stick with me. He's about to go to jail. Jesus is about to begin his ministry. He has begun. Time to get on board with him. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Remember what I told you. From day one, the Pharisees came. They said, who are you? Are you the Christ? I'm not the Christ. He's coming. He's coming. Be looking for him. He's among you and you don't see him. Now he's here and proclaimed himself to be who he is. John said, think back what I told you. I never told you I was anything special. I'm just the one who would point to the one that's special. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. He's the one right there that has the bride. Who's special? The bridegroom. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Who gets center stage at the wedding? The guy that's down on the end of the row here, the usher that came up here, and he's getting a little notice, but he's not supposed to jump out at that point and say, look at me, this is all about me. No, it's not all about you. It's about the groom and the bride. This is about the groom and the bride. This is about Christ and his church. And John the Baptist is just some preacher over there that's not supposed to be getting glory about this. You listen to what Jesus says in this book. If the preacher can point you to Jesus, he's doing his job. If he begins to think he's Jesus or try to present himself to you in some way, that he's very special, then he's way overstepped his job. He's just the friend, the friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the, listen to the voice of the bridegroom. Not my voice, says John. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. I'm rejoicing greatly. He must increase. John pointing to Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He's come straight from heaven. He's above everything. He that is, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from the heaven is above all. Jesus said, told Nicodemus, I've got some better things than this to tell you. John the Baptist says, you listen to him, he's got some good things to tell you. He knows heaven stuff. You better be listening to him. What he hath seen and heard that he testifieth, and no man received his testimony. He's been in heaven from the time he made the place. And he's come from there and he's telling you about it. And nobody's even listening to him. Nobody's receiving his message. Like you, people are rejecting him, he says to his followers. Don't do that. What he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. Anybody that receives what Jesus said is testifying that God is truly God. The centurion would say at the crucifixion, thou art the son of God. Thomas would say after the resurrection, thou, O Lord, thou, my Lord and my God. He that sees Jesus declares that God is truth and that one that's been 
promised to come for all these years, he's here. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. At best men, John the Baptist included, have the Spirit by measure. A little dose. A little dose is great to have. But Jesus had it all. Didn't have it by measure, had the full power of the Holy Ghost upon him. The full power of God in this man, Jesus Christ. I must decrease, he must increase. Follow him. John closes the chapter. John the writer. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God shall abide on him, abideth on him. Another statement of confirmation. The chapter closes with where it had spent a lot of time. What is born again? A confirmation. What is belief? What is born again? An act of God. What is belief? A confirmation of God's act. And then the chapter closes. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life hath everlasting life. Doesn't get it that way. He that believes has it. Just let it say what it says without any pre-assumed ideas about it. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. How can we tell? Do you believe? Do you believe on the Son, Jesus Christ? Do you believe he hung on a cross to take away the sins of his people? Do you believe heaven's waiting through him? If you believe those things, you've been born again. And if you've been born again, you have the life. And if you have the life, it's everlasting life. And the wrath of God won't abide on you. You'll never perish. Belief, it's your evidence. It's your comfort. What's the big deal about making such a big deal? Who gets the, all the glory if God does it all? God. Who gets part of the glory if I help him do it? Well, he did his part and then I did my part and it all worked out in the end. That's the message of Christianity today. You see, when you start without the proper foundation, you end up without the proper building. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The idea that we've got to get everybody born, that's, an, that's a... An idea that that's appeals to people and their self-interest. If you want to see grandma, you better get this done. If you want to go to heaven when you die, you better get this done. It's all about you and what you do and your benefit. That sounds rather self-serving to me, kind of like the world. What if God just does it all? What if that what if is not a what if? I tell you, God does it all. From start to finish, from before the world to the end of the world, he does it all. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you're a part of that. You're a part of that plan of God where he does it all. So don't start trying to intercept the plan and do your part. You know where your part comes in? Just give him all the glory. And that pleases him. That pleases him. May we do that. I appreciate your good attention. God bless you.
stand and sing a song and 